and thank you for listening. I'm Jay Lemons. Welcome to Leaders on Leadership, brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. The purpose of our podcast is to share the stories of the people and the forces that have shaped leaders in higher education and to learn more about their thoughts on leadership in the academy. Delighted today to be joined by Daniel Greenstein. Dan is the Chancellor of Pennsylvania State System of Higher Education, known as PASHI more locally, where he serves as Chief Executive Officer of the state's system of 14 public universities, which serve more than 90,000 degree-seeking students and thousands more enrolled in certificate and other career development programs. Prior to joining PASHI, Dan held posts at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the University of California system, and he began his career at the University of Glasgow. Dan holds bachelor's and master's degrees from the University of Pennsylvania and a doctorate of philosophy from Oxford. Welcome, Dan. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Really delighted to have you with us. Um, One of our goals for the program is to ask leaders to reflect and to consider their own pathways to leadership with a hope that um, others will be inspired. Dan, tell me your story. Tell us, uh, share with our listeners, talk about some of the people, the events and opportunities that might have forged the person that you are and the leader that you have become as your journey in higher ed has unfolded. Yeah, uh, so, you know, great question. I guess like uh, like every, every leader, I guess my uh, story starts when I was a kid. Um, I was a child of the 60s. I guess I'm the last year of the baby boomers, 1960, so I'm giving away my age. Um, but more, more uh, to the point, um, my parents uh, were very swept up in the, um, you know, the movement, the broad social movement around the Civil Rights Act and the Great Society in the 1960s. And they became themselves passionate about you know, issues of what we would call today social justice and social equality. And so, you know, as an eight and nine and 10 year old, other kids are out, you know, playing sandlot baseball in the summer or going to camp or whatever they did. You know, I was being enrolled in, you know, courses on urban regeneration and, you know, uh, race violence in America and stuff like that. Um, you know, and so that was my upbringing and, and really just Where to was kind that of, at? that was in Rochester, New York. And so, of course, in the late 60s, the trigger event was um, the strike at Eastman Kodak. And uh, Saul Alinsky and the Black Panthers, you know, mobilizing with, right, so that was a pretty, it was a tinderbox. And, um, you know, kind of, uh, I was um, just entering, just about to looking at entering middle middle school as that conflagration began to, um, you know, and of course, it just kind of fueled the the dialogue around the dinner, the the dining table, frankly. Um, uh, And so kind of... uh, imbued or acculturated or, 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 you know, nurtured into a kind of a social justice and equity orientation and followed that up at Penn where, you know, I encountered the, what was then the sort of new social history, which was, as you know, all about bringing the voices of the unheard into the telling of American history. Um, uh, so, you know, those were pretty foundational moments um, uh, in, in my life, which I carried sort of with me. Uh, I did get distracted in my uh, early days. I, you know, I, I, I got a PhD and as you'll know, uh, most people who get a PhD just sort of wind up in some kind of academic role, which I did, um, uh, and got distracted in academe by, you know, um, the innovation then and now we're in the, in the 90s available uh, through the internet and through applying internet services, not just to research and teach, to research, but also to teaching and learning. Um, and that sort of became a passion for the next, I don't know, 20 or so years. Um, I ended up giving up my tenured position because 
who who wouldn't give up a lifetime job to take on a series of several you know month long and year long contracts. Um, but I did, and uh, and 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 always working in kind of change agency roles in and around higher education, often you know involving technology. Um, but you know, cutting a, a very long story short or shorter, um, you know, I found myself ultimately at the University of California in a vice provost role during the Great Recession. When I think in 2009, the estimate was that 400,000 Californians, mostly black, black, brown, and low income people who did not look like me, mostly and, and lower income. Uh, people were not going to have access to the college education they would have otherwise had as a result of the Great Recession and the, and the ensuing cuts. And I kind of realized at that moment, you know, those two origins, that sort of facility for change agency in higher education and that passion for social justice and equity just collided because I realized, you know, oh, my God, higher education is that the country is at an inflection point. And, and, and I wanted to spend my time helping higher ed in particular through that inflection point, um, that's what got me ultimately to Gates and then, frankly, to the Pennsylvania state system. I, that, that, that just begs more, um, you, um, in, in some ways. Um, and thank you for, for, for sharing all of that. Um, uh, we are, we are um, people of exactly the same sort of temporal experience on this planet. And, uh, and so a lot of those, uh, Images uh, ring really familiar for me as well. I, I beat you um, uh, to the to this place. I'm, I'm a 59, so. Um, oh, exactly. <laughs> My brother is 59. <laughs> uh, but one, um, you know, for so many uh, people who live in the world of higher education, um, uh, how does one land at the Gates Foundation? Um, you know, it doesn't just happen. So I I, I hear you having this epiphany and seeing this inflection point and understanding the economic impacts on access. And, you know, the 400,000 um, Californians, was that in the UC system or was that um, CSU and UC together? It, it, was, it, was, it was California whole together. It was UC, CSU and the community colleges, most of those students community colleges. And so I became so I was involved at that time as vice provost for academic planning and programs. And, you know, in that role, you know, we were involved in a major restructuring of the office of the president. Um, uh, the office of the president there when I started had 2,200 people, uh, very sizable budget. And of course, even before the recession was going through some, you know, significant restructuring, um, uh, trying to basically compress its footprint. The idea being that, you know, most of the dollars should be spent at the universities where the students were, um, uh, but also really looking at the uh, range of academic programs that uh, I was uh, overseeing, um, all of which were centrally funded at top slice funding. And they included wonderful programs that California Digital Library, the University of California Press, very prestigious press, um, you know, a, a, an internship program in Washington, one in Sacramento, et cetera. Our education abroad program sent two something thousand, two and a half thousand students abroad every year, you know, but all those things were top sliced. And the question was, well, you know, couldn't we be putting them on a sort of a self-sustaining model where they're basically, you know, earning as much as they possibly can towards their upkeep. And, you know, that was a, a, a challenging, but I think ultimately very successful. As part of that, and in response to this, uh, sort of the cataclysm of the Great Recession, we started an online uh, uh, initiative to try to sort of tap into the great intellectual resources of the University of California 
uh, system in order to make education available to uh, more people than the University of California was ever going to accept as an elite inst research institution. And obviously, you know, that was a very challenging thing in its own right, but it ended up, we, you know, because of that equity orientation, um, uh, we, and because of its sort of uh, investment in uh, online technology and online learning, we became a, a, um, a grantee of the Gates Foundation. Um, and so, you know, in the course of that um, work, uh, I was invited by the Gates Foundation to put my name forward when the directorship became available and was, you know, delighted to take it in 2012 when it opened up. What a, what a journey from Rochester, New York. Yeah, yeah, to Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you found your way back to, uh, uh, to the U.S. Highway 15 corridor. However. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dan, you find yourself... Um, uh, leading a very major effort um, here in the Commonwealth. So it's speaking of inflection points, a time yeah. of great change, resource scarcity, um, challenging demographics, and and you know, and now uh, throw into it a world that's been reshaped by COVID nineteen. And yeah. I'd love for you to talk about your own thoughts about the mission, the role, purpose of higher education in our society, and and um, maybe identify for you. The, the compass points that are leading you through this major yeah. um, integration plan and study for the PASHI system as, 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 as the chancellor here in the Congress. Yeah, yeah and I, I, you know, they're very consistently with kind of the, the past, you know, I think they, they, but particularly forged through the years at Gates, you know, um, uh, really recognizing that higher education is arguably the last most reliable you know, pathway into the middle class and beyond, you know, engine of social mobility and economic development. Um, and true in this state, as so many others, you know, I think in Pennsylvania, the numbers are 60% of all jobs today require people in them with some kind of post-secondary education, 47% of the adult population has some, you know, and there's this huge gap. And the only way to diminish that gap is to do better with historically underserved populations, so students, populations of students haven't been well served by higher education, uh, you know, uh, so students of color, low income students, rural students, frankly, uh, adult students who, you know, may not be looking for a full degree, but are looking for some reskilling and upskilling opportunities. And that was really the passion and the, the sort of the orientation of the work in um, at the Gates Foundation. I remember when stepping down from Gates, you know, somebody who, um, you know, I respect enormously, sort of a mentor of mine you know, and I was looking at a variety of opportunities and they said, you know, can you imagine there you are at retirement and you never got an opportunity to test whether or not some of the strategy that you had actually led at Gates and, and helped to, the family to invest in and was really beginning to take hold, you know, whether that actually worked, you know, whether you could execute against it. And so when I left Gates, I was literally looking, you know, where I was looking in higher education. I was looking for, a, you know, a university that served the population I care about so deeply that, you know, um, so mostly a, this, looking mostly at the publics, um, that was at a major inflection point. Uh, and frankly, that, that, that had two attributes. One knew that it needed to change. I didn't want to be the, the chancellor or the president who had to make that case, not because you know, that's important to do, but I'm just not that person. Um, uh, and, and I found the Pennsylvania state system and I found them because the board was advertising for a chancellor with a very unique kind of role description in which the board was saying in, in a, I think a very unique way, something you don't see all the time, is basically we're in trouble and we need help. 
they had already committed to a fundamental system redesign, which was reflective of the fact that, you know, obviously there were a number of financial, political, and demographic challenges, which are, you know, true across higher education nationally, but are particularly acute in Pennsylvania. And the board had already committed itself, I think already two years before, to a pretty massive overhaul of system redesign uh, in its terms. Uh, which it oriented towards uh, student success, ensuring that all students succeed irrespective of zip code, um, uh, which obviously appealed to me, uh, oriented towards university success. So how do we do this in a way that's sustainable financially going forward? And how do we do it in a way which leverages our strength as a system? Those were the three kind of tenants. Um, but what was so unique in my you know, limited experience at that stage, looking across uh, leadership roles in higher education was it's not, it's, well, and you would see in, in your role more of this than I do. It's very unusual for a board to be that public about the challenges that it's facing. And I thought that that was A, profoundly moving and B, suggestive of, you know, great, you have an opportunity to work in that close proximity, that leadership engagement between the board and the, and, and the chancellor, the chief executive is so critical. And, and, and so that it was, it, you know, proved to be very, you know, incredibly attractive. So, it, and that's why I came. And, and, and I have to tell you, you know, in the interview process, which I'm sure was common, where you meet with, you know, hundreds of people on the, you know, in a long day, uh, representing every constituency possibly, and of course, all, all good. Everybody said the same thing, that, 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 that there was just, just not a lot of agreement about what change was, what the change was that was needed. But the general acceptance that we cannot just keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect better results. That, that, and that the, the tenor was, you know, we, we need a significant shift. We're not going to tweak our way out of this. And so, you know, they were kind of all, all that plus the fact that we have great data resources. I mean, I was also looking for that. You know, those were the things I was kind of looking for was, you know, a place to, to, to try to, to find a new direction for public higher education, given its criticality to the country, uh, you know, where, where, where you maybe had a chance to, to work with some smart people and, 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 and great mission and see if there was a direction to be, to be set. Wow. Well, it's an enormous um, uh, task that you've undertaken. As, as you work with your board in this period of, uh, of, uh, of examination, um, are there two or three compass points that are critical from, from your perspective? In terms of the how or the what? Uh, you know, how, how, what, what things will guide um, yeah. you in, in your work and in, in support of the, of the board in making these determinations? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and actually, you know, again, our, our board's fantastic. The board chair, shout out to Cindy Shapira. Um, uh, you know, she's a board chair and boss and, and, you know, a lot of, and has really overseen this sort of a redesign since its inception in 2016. Um, and so a lot of this was sort of had already, you know, was, was kind of worked into the conversation around the, the leadership role you know, a couple of, of, of key, you know, um, touchstones. So one of them is, is, is uh, data-driven, analytical, right? This stuff is super hard. Yeah. Um, and that's it's why I was so keen on, you know, do we have data? I mean, do we have the data resources that can be, you know, you, you cannot, you, well, you can, but you don't want to fly blind in this kind of circumstance. These, these um, transformational um, agenda are, are, are also very risky. And, and you know, the best way to mitigate the risk um, to at least to do everything you can is, is to analyze, you know, the heck out of everything 
So uh, data-driven is absolutely critical. Uh, I just, I don't want to sit in a room and talk about what people believe, much as I want to know what people believe. I want to know, you know, how their assumptions are borne out or, you know, supported by data. Um, and I want to understand directions and what their implications are for student outcomes and financial outcomes and a handful of other things. So data is really important and was important to the board. Accountability and, and transparency, I think also critical. I think, you know, as with many institutions <clears throat> of higher ed, public higher ed, maybe in particular, uh, I think Pennsylvania state system was challenged in that regard, not because of any ill will or ill intent or, 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 or bad acting. It is just that there had not been a kind of, you know, and there's a reticence and the board demonstrated the leadership through their, their, um, uh, their job ad for the CEO was, you know, sometimes you actually have to talk about the problems that you're facing, especially in a public institution where we're, you know, we're 25% of our, our revenues are supported by taxpayer dollars. And it's, it's not, I, th I think we have an obligation to be open about where we are and uh, what, how great we are, but also the challenges that we're facing. And, 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 and to, and I think people, you know, there's 10,000 people who work here as well as, you know, our 90 some odd thousand students who have a, a need to know as well as a right to know what our circumstances are and, and what our various options are. So I thought, you know, so being very transparent, very accountable has been, has been you know, very critical uh, to us. And, and we've pushed that forward. And obviously try to engage as many voices as possible in the work, which, you know, becomes incredibly difficult, as you can imagine, in a period where, you know, we're adjusting our size to our new enrollment realities and um, obviously downsizing our workforce. I mean, those are tremendously hard things to be inclusive about. And yet I, we have an opportunity, we have an obligation to try, um, you know, to invite as often as we can folks to the table, even if we're not super comfortable with the things they're telling us. Um, and so, you know, we've been, you know, tried to, to, to pursue that. Uh, obviously, we have a unionized environment. So it's in, in, in our circumstances, it means obviously making time to work with our, our, our union colleagues. But it also, in the case of the Pennsylvania State System, we didn't have system-wide faculty shared governance. So again, with board leadership, we built that. It's just now taking off through our new faculty council, which I'm really excited by, um, and creates opportunities to work in new ways with our faculty. Um, to engage our students in different ways. We have obviously as elsewhere student leadership, but I don't think we'd engage with them as formally uh, as, as we could have. So, you know, putting, you know, setting those tables and really beginning to learn how to work at them uh, has been something that's been, I think those three things have been pretty important. Well, thank you very, very much for sharing all of that. Share with us, if you would, what in your mind makes a good leader? And, and by good, I don't mean grade B, I mean virtuous, effective, successful. Oh gosh, uh, take up all the things I do and then the contrary, I guess. Um, so I play the things that I think about, right? Um, so, and I'm gonna add them to the things I just talked about, transparency, accountability, data-driven and inclusivity. Um, you know, I think it's really important to uh, create safe places in which people can have difficult conversations. Um, and that's hard to do for someone who's opinionated as I am, um, but it's also really important. I'll give you a, an example. We have, you know, great presidents, but I don't think the presidents had been as engaged <clears throat> as they should have been in my view in sort of system-wide strategic direction and leadership. Um, and, you know, in, in, it's a funny thing, in our, in our system, corporate, our structure, we're a single corporate entity. 
which means that as a financially weakness financially anywhere in the system tugs everywhere. We are all of us on the hook for each of us. And, and so, you know, the accountabilities that are typically baked into a system are vertical presidents, chancellors, board. Um, when in fact, given our corporate structure, as importantly are the accountabilities, which are horizontal, university to university, which when I got here meant establishing a leadership group of presidents and, and, and actually they worked with me to establish that group um, uh, in a moment of bold and courageous conversation, quite frankly, which, um, uh, and sort of how do we create a space where people can have those difficult, like I'm, I'm just not comfortable with the way that you're you know, doing X because it's drawing down on scarce resources which could otherwise be made available across the system and differently. Um, those are really challenging conversations and yet they're essential. Um, and it's not just presidents with which one needs to have them, right? I think that's true across. So creating spaces for safe conversation um, and, uh, and, and encouraging that courageous conversation, I think is really critical. I think, you know, having a North Star, uh, and this is directly out of Brene Brown, you know, but um, if you haven't, if, if aspiring or current leaders who haven't read Brene Brown, the three of you left, go out and read them. Anything you can get your hands on, but dare to lead is probably the one that I would uh, point to first. Yeah. Um, and she speaks about, you know, having a kind of a, a, a sort of a value, understanding what your value system is in a way that you can define it in a word and, and just understand it. And because at the end of the day, so many decisions are based on judgment as well as analysis. What's going to shape that judgment to be clear and, and, and of course what that value and what that word is going to differ by different people, but that clarity is, is really important. Um, and then I think in a transformational journey like this, um, I'm not sure if it's resilience or courage, it's probably resilience. Um, I think it's really important. I mean, this is, um, this is super not fun. Um, and, and, and this is not the kind of work that, and I wish I could have told myself this as a younger person. Um, and it's something I learned from Michael Sorrell, who's president of Paul Quinn, um, although he's much younger than me. Uh, uh, you know, I remember being on a panel with him before he came to Pennsylvania State System, and he's involved in a transformational effort at Paul Quinn successfully. And he says, in these roles, you must lead from courage because the resistance you're going to face is intense and it's profound and it is potentially um, um a fundamental threat to your longevity in the role. Yeah. And you can't let that get in the way of doing the right thing. And so, um, so I think both courage and resilience are, are absolutely critical. Uh, and, and, and how do you be resilient without being callous? Because, you know, I'm minded of Lily Tomlinson who said something like, you know, no matter how cynical, how cynical you get, you just can't keep up or something. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, so you got to, uh, for me, it's sort of combining that sort of sort of sense of mission, uh, but with the, the, the distance and resilience you need to keep going through some pretty tough times. Yeah. Yeah. What's your advice for new leaders or those who aspire to leadership positions? That's a core part of our audience are the participants in the um, AALI leadership programs on an annual yeah. basis. Um, another, uh, read Brene Brown, I've already told you. Yeah. <laughs> another tidbit from Brene Brown, uh, it's really about feedback. Feedback is so important. Um, 
And actually, you know, I think her, I think the word she used, I think is her, it's, um, you know, give feedback with um, empathy, receive it with humility. Um, receiving it is easy. I think giving it's really hard. Giving critical feedback, it's easy to tell somebody, hey, you're doing a great job. It's really hard to give critical feedback in a way which is, uh, you know, supportive and, and growth oriented. Uh, and, and she has a whole protocol of getting ready to give, you know, critical feedback. Um, but it's also something you can't do without practice. So practicing and feedback, um, I think, is 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 super important. Um, and coupled with some of the other things I've just said, I think uh, those would be my. I, I, you know, I think um, I, I guess what I would tell my younger self is, uh, I didn't have the courage that I think I have now when I probably needed it more. Hmm. Um, and, you know, and I, I don't know why, because I had a family and job security was important because I, I, I like everybody else, I, I want to be liked, I, you know, but, you know, I, I, I think it would have tempered some of, I, I would have, maybe I would have learned faster and more gracefully uh, had I had the courage to make mistakes and to not you know, and to learn differently. Yeah. So what's the, what's the uh, Dan Greenstein one word um, leadership mantra? Uh, in one word. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think the value that I sort of drive myself by, it's actually not equity, it's fairness. Um, but I guess from a leadership perspective, I would sort of combine fairness with, com fairness with compassion. Yeah, yeah, but wonderful. I'm gonna move um, into what I call a little bit of a lightning uh, rod, a, a, a lightning round um, uh, here, uh, Dan. Just, you can answer with as long an answer as you want, but who most influenced you? Oh, my mom, no doubt. Probably everybody tells you that, but yeah, she was. Uh, well, tell us about her. Well, so I lost my mom when I was, uh, 18, she was uh, tremendously sick for probably the last, uh, her last eight or nine years. Um, but she was, uh, you know, she was herself an educational reformer, turns out, um, K-12. Uh, uh, but she was, um, she just profoundly supportive, guiding. Um, and even as she was deteriorating in her strength and her health, um, really able to, you know, at a critical time in my life, 16, 17, 18, to sort of invest in me, the strength and fortitude that was draining out of her system on a daily basis. Um, wow. So there's very little, yeah, you know, you just, it was a, it was a defining moment, you know, for me and I still returned, um, you know, in, in, in the hardest time outward times yeah and, you know that's so still there for me well no doubt that's um uh in part um, the well um from which courageous leadership flows yeah it sounds like she did some profound teaching as life was being drawn away from her in the way you described i thank you for sharing that
I, you may have already answered this, but I'll give you a, a chance to, to go back to, uh, to the well one more time or not, um, or raise up another book. Um, what books most influenced you? So I tend to get swept up uh, with enthusiasm for the latest thing I've read, like many. So, you know, the, there are things like, you know, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead uh, that you just hold on to. And there's, there's actually a handful of things in the kind of change management uh, change leadership uh, world, which I've, you know, been, been, um, which I still sort of hold on to. There's a book by a, 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 a erstwhile BCG, Boston Consulting Group uh, consultants called The Change Monster, which talks about phases of change, um, but really, you know, thinks of in terms of organizational culture and, and, and sort of often the emotions that go along with change. I think to me, those have been some of the most challenging and, and interesting at the same time things to, to learn how to, to deal with change is an incredibly emotional uh, thing. And, and so one has to meet people where they are and often where they are in, in a major transform transformative journey is an emotionally driven place. And so, you know, how to, uh, how to how, you know, and especially for someone like me, so analytically driven, and, you know, kind of a techno wonk in my thinking about higher education you know, how to connect with that, that, that other side, another book called switch by the Heath. I think it's Chip and Fred Brothers, also yeah. talk, yeah. Talk about, you know, <clears throat> the head and the heart and it's my language of, of, of change, but, you know, so really sort of plumbing the depths of that sort of understanding change and um, engaging folks uh, in ways that appeal to that, the many uh, attributes. Those are, um, uh, have been important. You know, recently I've become fascinated by Kurt Anderson's Fantasyland, you know, where he basically, you know, writing a book which he published three months after the uh, President Trump was had been elected. And um, uh, but not because he had seen President, I mean, he'd just been fascinated by the topic. But Fantasyland talks about the history of how America, perhaps uniquely of all countries in the world, you know, has has produced a culture where it's just okay for everyone to have their own fact set and reality. <laughs> you know, and it's 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 disturbing. It's fascinating, and it is so completely relevant to the world I'm occupying now, where you know, um, where in 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 major conversations around you know big public policy type initiatives, um, uh, oftentimes people aren't actually uh, debating different interpretations of the same basic facts. Um, you see whole alternative realities being constructed. Um, you know, and in an environment like ours, in a in a political culture like ours, where that is normalized, it 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 really very challenging to move an agenda in a kind of empirical way. Um, you know, in 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 the best sort of liberal tradition, I mean, small l liberal, um, because facts don't matter, and because reality is 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 constructed uh, at a personal level. And that that seems to be held closely as an individual human right. It's fascinating. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, I've become kind of gotten lost in that thought, which is. Uh, thank you for all of that. There's a lot of richness there. Um, and um, and by the way, which is one of my all-time favorites, I, I think the contribution of uh, of 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 the you know what I would call the behavioral economists um, uh, is. Uh, it, in, in terms of uh, thinking about human behavior been really, really interesting over the last decade. So let, let's switch gears again. Um, uh, what about your favorite memory of your undergraduate experience? Oh gosh, uh, I have a bunch, but um, you know, I was very uh, uh, fond of uh, a professor as often, you know, people are who, you know, probably unbeknownst to him, uh, turned out to be a mentor to me, uh, Mike Zuckerman. 
mm. who really uh, taught a class called community and culture, um, probably community and culture in America. And there was probably some dates around it. It's a long time ago, but, um, but, you know, this was again in, in University of Pennsylvania where I did my undergraduate um, and the sort of new social history was prevalent uh, throughout it. Penn was one of the Penn historians were amongst the leaders, you know, internationally. Um, and of course, a lot of the focus was on, you know, uh, social structures, uh, a lot of uh, quantitative work, uh, a lot of thinking about um, uh, socioeconomic uh, structural aspects that, that drive change. Um, and, and there was, uh, you know, Mike, who was trying to unpack uh, critical components of, of American culture and how they themselves were uh, forces that were shaping history. Um, so in some ways it was a counterpoint <clears throat> to uh, a lot of other things I was you know, reading and, and, and learning, um, but it's also really sort of oriented the fascination that has driven my, it, it oriented sort of my fascination with change leadership, frankly, because again, it goes back to the fact that, 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 that so much of success and failure, so much of success and failure is based on the ability to engage with people where they are, which is often at an emotional place and sort of in ways that reflect the kind of organizational and community cultures that they're, they're engaged in. And failure to understand that is going to result in failure to connect, which is going to result in failure to lead. So, you know, how often I return to his, his class, um, uh, it's something you'd probably be alarmed and mortified to learn, but uh, I do. Uh, that's no, that's uh, that's terrific. I love that. Um, um, the number of times you return to that class, I can, I, uh, I think that reflects the very best of of of, uh, of this tradition of higher education. I want to, and I want to go there next. And I'm, I'm, I am mindful for. Um, uh, you know, uh, of a person who has spent a lot of your time around change and transformation, but I wonder if you might have a favorite tradition um, uh, at, at some place that you've attended or worked. Is there a place for tradition um, in, in a world, uh, or is this, uh, is this what makes uh, the, the challenges of the day so hard, is uh, we're so high bound? Um, in, in tradition, but uh, I'm more thinking about the, the, the you know, the, the Boyer notion of ritual and tradition being one of the sort of, um, you know, essential elements of, of, of what makes the culture of, of higher education. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, uh, my wife would tell you that um, we move around, <laughs> she might tell you, we move around a lot because either I get bored or I can't keep a job, I don't know which, um, but, you know, we've moved a lot. Uh, and, um, I mean, like a lot, uh, and we tend to move far. So, you know, quick pricey from my first academic role, Glasgow, <clears throat> London, DC, Berkeley, Piedmont, Seattle, Harrisburg, and I'm sure I've missed a stop. Um, <laughs> or two. We are um, academic nomads. In a yeah, way. It's, a, it's a very nomadic. And so as a consequence, that kind of ritual is hard to establish and take root um, in a way that is sort of reflective of the kind of place or the organization that one works for. So while each of those places and organizations had their own, I guess the ones that have followed through with me are basically my family because um, they won't leave me. 
I guess they, they kind of, we evolve in different ways. And so our traditions are really, you know, sort of located there. Um, uh, and, and, and I draw a great deal of strength from them. Yeah, yeah. So if you hadn't worked in higher ed, if you hadn't become this academic nomad, what would you have done? What are the other paths that, that had appeal for you or forks in the road you did not take? Um, oh gosh. So, uh, you know, there's always been the, uh, in the last 20 or so years, the opportunity to go join, you know, a startup and, and see what that's all about. Um, uh, I, 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 I'm fascinated by, uh, consulting strategic consulting, partly cause I am, you know, I, um, you know, I'm an analyst, I guess at some, uh, and I, you know, I'm probably, uh, um, strategy level analyst um, and fascinated by, you know, all of the opportunities. And I love solving or trying to solve other people's problems um, even more than I love solving my own because there seems to be that level of remove. So, you know, <clears throat> uh, so there's a whole range of opportunity there. Um, the sort of the path, not paths, not taken. Um, so, you know, um, but I, and, 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 and frankly, um, I love, strategic philanthropy uh it's wow the power of um uh because it combines the sort of uh, strategy planning um with the analytics you know required of uh smart investing um and also evaluating sort of outcomes from investments um so i think those are that, that one i did get to try i guess yeah. uh, in that sort of in that uh domain um and you know uh uh, what is it? They, they sort of uh, uh, how old am I? Sixty is the new twenty. So uh, maybe get an opportunity to explore some of those at some other point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, uh, it, it is. Uh, I'm grateful that we live in a time where retirement is not um, an event, um, uh, but a uh, but a process. Um, uh, and. Uh, um, uh, Personally, I can't imagine going from uh, 60 miles an hour to zero. Um, yeah. and, um, I don't think we live in a world where uh, many don't have a choice about that. And, um, and others um, do have an ability to, uh, to think about glide paths. So, yeah. um, you know, one of the things I like to do here is, is, is really uh, close by asking our guests to share with our listeners uh, the distinctive qualities or the organizational DNA that makes the Pashi system so very special, um, important to you, but um, equally or maybe more important to those that you serve. Yeah, so, um, you know, I guess I, I pick this up on my, you know, I visit our universities uh, every semester. Um, I used to drive. Uh, last couple of semesters, obviously, I didn't. Um, I never thought I'd say this, but I, I kind of missed the 2,500 miles that I have to do in order to get um, uh, that to, to make that tour. But um, you know, they're 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 just as ask you, you know, Association of American Association of State Colleges and Universities, you know, did some work maybe a ten or a dozen years ago about you know our kinds of universities, you know, regional universities teaching mostly to the master's level as stewards of place. They're, 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 um, and, and, and speaking to the extent to which they're just sort of tied into their communities, you know, in obvious ways, they create jobs. In some many cases in our system, they're the largest employer in the region. 
Um, but it's not just that. It's 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 also that those universities, those communities rely on those universities to sort of create the next generation of leaders, healthcare professionals, teachers, business leaders, that those communities themselves need to thrive. So those universities are doubly important. And there are other ways in which they contribute culturally, et cetera, uh, to those communities. And you see that in ways which are just, you know, palpable when you when when you visit. Um, our students are, 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 are fantastic. You know, we're most, many of our institutions are largely open access institutions. Um, and yet our, you know, our students are, are, are as, as good and as, as you'd almost see anywhere. And, um, and, 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 uh, and, and, and they are as diverse as Pennsylvania is diverse, but, um, which is also profoundly moving. Um, uh, and so, you know, you have this and, 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 and the communities themselves within the university, the staff and faculty, and you speak to folks, you know, how, you know, introduce myself, you go around a room or whatever, nay, I always do an icebreaker, you know, name, um, how long you've been here role, and then some icebreaker question, but, you know, in those conversations, you know, staff and faculty routinely here for 15 plus 20 plus years. And it's not, I mean, we're a great, I mean, I think we're a great place to work, but it's more than that. It's, 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 it's a sense of, of, of mission and family. And of course, you're seeing all this emotion resulting from that pour out into this consideration of, you know, integrating six of our universities into two. Um, uh, but that testifies to an incredible strength um, uh, that, that, that we have. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's try to say this publicly and because it's true, you know, we change lives. I think we save a bunch too. And, and, you know, when you see that kind of, when you see that sausage being made and you see it being made every day, it's, it's, it's tremendously powerful. I think there are other things that, that, that folks don't talk about, which deserve to be spoken about. You know, I think, um, our institutions, Pennsylvania state system, obviously universities, but others like ours you know, our crucibles in which we're watching um, region, race, and class collide in ways which are uh, both powerful and sometimes really disturbing, but which also, you know, again, talking, I guess, to a one-time social historian, create the kind of energy which will drive our society forward in ways which are incredibly productive and about which we will all be proud or not. And, and, and to look into that engine that is shaping our future and to, to, to recognize that, 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 that how it functions today will have an enormous impact, not just on our socioeconomic health, but on our political culture going forward. Uh, it, you know, is kind of, overwhelming, but at the same time, inspiring. Um, and so, you know, it's been, uh, it's one thing I haven't mentioned, but, you know, we have a very important agenda to pursue, to improve the diversity, equitable uh, outcomes and inclusivity of, of, of our universities and our chancellor's office. Um, and those are more than just words. It is, um, it's sort of a, a mission opportunity that will have an impact over the shape and feel of Pennsylvania going forward. And, you know, I think that's sort of rooted in the strength of our communities. Um, and I drive optimism because of the strength of our communities. Um, and that optimism, I think, 
helped me overcome the kind of sense of awe I feel when I look at the steepness of the mountain we need to climb. Wow. I really appreciate so much of what you just shared. Um, our campuses as places where region, race, and class um, uh, collide. I mean, and, and the, you know, the profound diversity. Uh, Pennsylvania is a large state, uh, as you said, the 2,500 miles for your circuit to get to these um, 14 campuses. Um, um, and the critical role um, uh, uh, that these places have as anchor institutions. Um, they, they very much are um, centers of, uh, of, of economic um, activity, of educational activity, of healthcare in many instances because of the uh, synergies. And um, um, they're, you know, having lived in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania now for the last 20 years, um, uh, uh, dare I say, is there a Pennsylvanian who's not been touched um, uh, by the graduates of the PASHI system. And, um, you know, Dan, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Leaders on Leadership. We're really glad to have had you and for you to have found and made time um, during this um, incredibly ambitious period that you're living through. I am grateful for your sharing your insights uh, um, um, and wisdom about leadership with us. Um, and um, welcome a, a final comment from you. No, oh, well, look, thanks for having me. It's obviously really, uh important series. I think one of the biggest uh, challenges um, higher education faces today is that uh, we don't cultivate our leaders um, in, a, in, a, in a formal way. Um, we have some great leadership program development programs here. Shippensburg University uh, has one, has now had it for a few years and others are following. Uh, but but it's, 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 it's a tremendous, um, there are tremendous opportunities in leadership in higher ed. Uh, and and it's, it's an area I think we all um, have a great deal more to do. So any effort that contributes to that common good are very welcome and I appreciate the opportunity to contribute what I can. Uh, very, very much in your debt. Um, uh, listeners, um, we welcome your suggestions and thoughts for leaders we might feature in upcoming segments. You can send those to leadership podcast at academicsearch.org. You can find our podcasts anywhere you can find podcasts. So Leaders on Leadership is brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. Together, our mission is to support colleges and universities during times of transition and through leadership development activities that serve current and future generations of leaders in the academy. It's been a really special pleasure for us to host Chancellor Dan Greenstein on our show today. Uh, Dan, thank you um, for um, your leadership and for your generosity uh, today. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. See ya.